0: I'm getting some kind of stern looks from some of the children. It's it's not my fault, okay? Don't blame me. (laughs) But we're not having kids' time for the month of August, but we can do it. You know, summer is uh, kind of a different time in the life cycle of a church. Uh, We have less structure in our lives, even those of us like Pat and I who no longer have children in school. It just seems like summer is a time where there's not quite as much structure and not quite and freer to go and to do and so forth. And uh, because of that, then I never know what congregation I'm going to face every time I get up here during the summer. And it's also, to be quite honest, I guess this is a confession, a little hard to keep my focus on preaching. So I try to come up with ways to do that. And this summer I have chosen... Uh, a way to keep focused, and that is to preach passages I have never preached before. Uh, In the cycle of sermon passages assigned to the church to be preached, you always have choices, and there are certain passages I just have never tried to preach uh, for many reasons. One is sometimes I think, how can I deal with that in 15 or 20 minutes, or Other times it's, how can I make a connection between that passage and our lives today? Uh, This is one of those passages. Lucky you, we're going to do it today. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, the opening verses of Romans chapter 9, which is a part of a longer section, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Romans 9, verse 1, Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel." Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. These days we hear a lot about the uh, good idea of keeping your mind sharp as you grow older, that all through our lives we ought to seek out mental challenges, puzzles and riddles and uh, all these things to keep us thinking. In fact, there is uh, a website I see advertised on television called luminosity.com, that provides these mental exercises for you. I won't ask who has subscribed to that. Uh, I assume there's a fee for that, so I've, you know, not done that. But I believe that that's true, that we ought to keep always challenging our mind to be thinking. Well, those of us who read the book of Romans quite often don't really need Luminosity.com. We just need Romans chapters 9 through 11 to work through those and try to keep up with Paul's thinking and his reasoning as he goes through one of the most dense and difficult sections that we find in the New Testament. In this section, Paul lays out a great problem that he is wrestling with. And he deals with that problem in two ways. He deals with it theologically, and then he deals with it existentially. This morning, in the brief time we have, we're going to try to follow both lines of that thinking of Paul, to travel with him theologically through this passage, but then to go back and just let it be what it is, and to speak to our hearts. Our mind, folks, I know, always enjoy exercising your theological muscles. Well, maybe we'll give you a chance today. Today. But I believe it's his existential struggle, the more personal side, that will touch our hearts, even connect us directly to the heart of Paul, but more importantly, the heart of Jesus. Here's the problem he's dealing with. Paul believes that God chose and utilized the people of Israel to bring his son Jesus The Messiah into the world to bless and to save all the world, not just the people of Israel, but to open the kingdom of God up to people of every ethnicity, every nation, all could become a part of the kingdom of God. And Paul thinks that now that that has happened, that God did bring this about through his people Israel. The problem is, so much of Israel is not accepting Jesus as the Messiah. So many people within the nation of Israel are rejecting the very plan that God had used them to bring into this world. So his dilemma is, now where does Israel fit in with God's plan? And his question is, did God's plan some way fail? Did something go wrong? And what God had intended is never going to happen. Let's first look at that, the way he deals with it theologically. You ready? Got your ankles taped? Here we go. Paul, first of all, if you want to read through 9, 10, and 11 establishes that it indeed was God's plan from the beginning of time that all the world have access to his kingdom. That yes, he did choose the people of Israel to be his conduit, to be his, his faithful people who would bear witness that there is a God and that God loves the world and that God is intending to save the world. That the people of Israel would open that possibility up To all the nations. He then goes on to point out that though Israel was chosen to be the covenant people of God, though Israel was called to be the people through whom Jesus came, not all of Israel was ever faithful. That even though they were the people of God, there was only a number within them that kept the faith there was always simply a remnant of Israel. We think back to our Old Testament stories of these wicked kings that would lead the people off into worshiping idols, and yet there would be that faithful few within the nation who would stay there and stay with God and keep bearing witness to the true God and call their people back to the worship of God. But Paul also says That even though this kept happening and the people of Israel kept wandering off with only this faithful remnant staying near to God, God never did give up on Israel. That God had made promises to this nation and that even though this nation would abandon him at times, he would not abandon them. And now he says it's happened. It's happened to the point where what they were intended to do has come about. The Messiah has come. And as a result of that, Gentile believers, that's us, people of all the nations, now can be responsive to God. They can become a part of God's people. But who they're a part of is that faithful remnant. Those people who respond to him in faith. And so now, The remnant of God's people, both Jews and Gentiles, are called upon to call all the Gentiles and all the Jews back to faith in God through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. That the Gentiles who have become Christians should forever be grateful to the nation of Israel for the faith that they did maintain, he compares us to tree branches that came off of some wild tree, but has been grafted in to the pure tree of God. And now we take sustenance from the root system, which was the nation of Israel itself, and all the faithfulness through all those centuries that existed. So therefore, as we move on into the kingdom of God and we call people to be a part of that kingdom, we do so with humility. And with respect for the heritage that has gone before. And Paul still holds out the dream. As he says toward the end of this passage. That all of Israel will be saved. And when Paul says all of Israel. He means us. As well as those who have borne the Jewish heritage. Throughout the centuries. And then he concludes all of this with this passage. And I think this is very telling. He says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. In other words, we should never get too big for our britches. Because we don't see it all. God is not able to be totally comprehended by us, nor is his plan. We come to him in faith. Trusting that what he said he will do throughout the course of history, he will make happen. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. So all we can do is give him the glory. Amen. Well, that's theology. Did you make it through that? (laughs) There's much more there. We had to be rather brief. But I challenge you, if you want a good brain exercise, today, tomorrow, sometime this week, open your Bibles to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 and read them carefully and follow along. But before we leave, I want us to back up and deal with this on a little bit different level. I want to look at this from Paul's heart to view it as we said existentially. Because you see this can be on one level just simply a theological problem. Where does Israel now fit into God's plans and how what is our relationship with Israel? That's a theological problem. But for Paul it was a very personal problem. Because Paul was Jewish. And you see, as he writes about the fact that many people in Israel are not accepting Jesus as the Messiah, he's thinking about family members. He's thinking about close friends who have just not bought into this. So when he thinks about people within Israel who have not been drawn to Jesus as the Christ. He has names, he has faces, and his heart is broken. That's why he says this at the very beginning He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Because people that are in my family, people that I have known all my life, care nothing about Christ. They care nothing about Jesus. He goes on to say, if I could, I wish that I myself were accursed, that I was cut off from Christ. For the sake of my people, my kindred, my brothers, my sisters. Paul has truly become like the Christ he loves, willing to give himself up if those he loved would find eternal life and the peace of Christ. I don't have to make a connection here, do I? Because this is our connection to this passage. Because I believe every one of us in this room have names and faces of people that we love dearly who have yet to care and to commit. To our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know what Paul talks about when he talks about the pain and the anguish and the broken heart that he bears. One of the joys of ministry is to see people come to Christ. Is to see people go through the waters of baptism. To hear their story of faith to see their lives come alive with the gift of the Spirit. But one of the heartbreaks of ministry is to recall those faces that by now are too many to be numbered that I've seen walk away. When I read this passage, this isn't just theology, it's life. It's not just Paul's dilemma. It's my heart too. I was thinking back this week as I read this of different people that I've encountered along the way that I wanted so badly for them to embrace faith and to embrace Christ and to become a child of God. And to date, as far as I know, they have not. I thought of one girl, I might have shared this story in another context a few years ago, but one girl that I happened to meet again one day when I was in East Texas working with the church. She came into the office for help, and it dawned on me in talking with her, though she didn't look anything like she had before, this was a girl that had been in my youth group in a small town I'd worked in while I was going to school. This is a girl who came from a great family, with that church every Sunday involved in the heart of the church. It's a girl who used to have bright eyes and a beautiful smile. And now, as I looked at her with her sunken cheeks and teeth that had rotted out from drug use, I thought, what happened? What happened? Come to find out that she had married a guy who cared nothing about God and cared nothing about church. He was into drugs. He got her into drugs. He liked to occasionally beat on her a little bit when things weren't going too well. And so she had finally left him and now was seeking help. And I thought, okay, here it is, here's our chance. So I and several others in the church rallied around her. We got her the things that she needed, we brought her to church, we counseled with her, we talked with her. and She had two little children that were living with her. But eventually, as these guys tend to do, they found her again. So the last time I saw her, I was sitting in her little apartment with her and her husband. And I laid it out before her, I said, are you going to choose this life? Or this life. Are you going to choose Christ or are you going to go back in to what you were in before? She chose the other way. Breaks my heart. What do we do about that? What do we do with family members who don't seem to care? I know this is a personal situation for us too. Speaking of broken hearts, we'll get back to this in just a moment. This week I was doing some reading and just happened to stumble upon a quote by some ancient rabbis. It was dealing with the passage in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, where God's promise is that God would write his word upon our hearts you know that passage I will write my word on your heart these rabbis gave that a little bit of a spin that I never had thought of before I don't know if this is the primary intent of the passage but I think it's truth they said notice that God writes his heart his word on our heart not in our heart and that's because when our hearts break, the first thing that will fall into our hearts is His Word. I like that. Here Paul's heart is breaking. What word is falling into his heart? Do you know what Paul had just been talking about before he brought up this problem? Romans chapter 9 comes right after what? It's not a hard question. Romans chapter 8. Does anybody know what's in Romans chapter 8? Oh, many of you do. Let me read to you the words that Paul wrote and were still ringing in his ears whenever he began to deal with this problem. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. The very thing that Paul had been thinking about before he launched into his discussion of this heartbreaking problem was that God is a God of love, God is a God of persistence. God is a God of grace and mercy. This is the God I love. This is the God I serve. And I've got this problem I'm dealing with, and my heart aches for those who have yet to come to faith. But let me remember that I have come to faith in a God who loves and is gracious and merciful and is doggedly tenacious in his pursuit of his people. I don't think it's an accident that he then goes in and talks about his struggle and his heartbreak for others. And I think part of what he is saying to us, it is this God in whose hands I commend the souls and the spirits and the lives of the people I love. And I can trust him that just like God never gave up on the nation of Israel. He will never give up on them either. And that He's a God of mercy and grace. I may not be able to understand how He works, and please let me never think I do. Oh, I think one of the greatest wrongs that we do in thinking is when we say, well, God thinks this, or God wouldn't do this, or God. How do we know? We know what is revealed to us and we are responsible to understand and to own that truth. But we can never say that we have plumbed the depths of God's plans and his the ways that he works. Remember what Paul said over there in chapter 11? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can be his counselor and tell him what to do? But our God is greater than us. But this I know, that his very definition is a God of love. And while my heart breaks and I long to see faith in all that I love and all the people I know, that I live at peace knowing that He, they are in the hands of a God of mercy and grace. I told you (laughs) that Paul's heart touches our heart. You may be one here today that has yet to fully embrace this life in Christ. You may be one today that you don't even know why you ended up here. But perhaps, just perhaps, It's only because God is still calling you. And this may be the day that you finally say yes. That I will live the life of faith. I will live the life of faith in this world. That I might be a part of the light that shines in the darkness. That I might be a part of God's plan to save his creation. Not only to enjoy the benefits of that plan, but to be a witness and testimony to those still walking in darkness and struggling. We're going to be standing here in just a moment, and there's going to be some of our leaders standing around the perimeter of this room. And if today's the day that you finally say yes, find one of them. They're there to help you. Let's stand and say.